You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. We are in Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5. Um, if you guys are, are kind of read ahead, I hope some of you are, are kind of trying to stay a little bit ahead. If you did, you probably read this chapter and you're like, whoo, what is Fowler going to do with this one? Right? I don't, we'll find out. Uh, if you are a reader header, we're going to be in chapter 6 next week, right? That five, 6 comes after 5, and so I'd love for you to read ahead. We'll be in Gideon for the next couple weeks. Uh, but chapter 5 is traditionally just one of those challenging passages because it's poetry, because it's a song. It's actually one of the oldest songs in the Bible. Um, and, and the key to understanding chapter 5 is understanding chapter 4, right, really. So which, you can, remember that, there's that scene in National Treasure where Nicolas Cage puts on the glasses and it, like the map opens up, right? Classic great movie. Of course, it's in Philadelphia. That's why it's classic and great. Um, but so he puts on the glasses and he looks down at the Declaration of Independence and it kind of opens up. The, chapter 4 and 5 are kind of like that. You put them on top of each other. And it's like, oh, okay. I'm starting to see a little bit. And so if you weren't here last week, let me just kind of give you the Cliff's Notes version, right? Cliff's Notes, by the way, for those of you who are like young, and they, it's the Wikipedia of the 80s, okay? There was these, if you didn't read the book in high school, you went to the store and you bought the Cliff's Notes for Huckleberry Finn because you didn't really want to read the whole thing. The only problem is every good English teacher knew what the Cliff's Notes said, and so they asked questions that weren't in that. But anyway, that's what Cliff's Notes are. Just trying to inform you about culture here. So Cliff's Notes, summarize. Last chapter, again, the people of Israel fall into that same cycle of sin that we've seen, right? They fall into sin. God brings servitude uh, of some kind of nation. This time it was Jabin, and he kind of enslaves them for 20 years. And he's got a general named Sisera who's got 900 chariots, and so it's, he's a dominating force. They cry out to God, and he raises up this super gifted lady named Deborah who's got some mad leadership gifts. She's wise. She calls up her general... Barak, and says, get down there. Go fight them. He says, I'm only going if you go. And so she goes with them, and there they are in this great valley that's a dried up riverbed, which is a perfect place for a chariot to just roll over everything. So they're on their home turf. They're outgunned. They're outnumbered. Deborah says, get down there and fight. Barak goes down and does it, and God at the right time just brings a rainstorm so that that dried riverbed becomes just a river again, and thus... The chariots are rendered useless. Israel kind of dominates. General Sisera runs and hides, and he goes to one of his allies uh, and hides in the tent of the sweet lady jail, right? She gives him some NyQuil or Tylenol PM, and he falls asleep right there, and she takes out a little hammer and a little nail, and pow! It's over, right? And thus Israel is delivered, right? And chapter five is basically their victory parade, this is the Super Bowl parade. I know some of you, because you're from Georgia, you don't know what a championship's like, okay? So, um, but if you want to know, just talk to some of the people from New England in here, right? You can identify them real easily. They're like, yeah, Tom Brady, he's wicked awesome. There's a fire, right? You know, right? That's, they're from New England, and go ask them what a championship parade is like. They have one about every six months, okay? Unfortunately. Um, but this is their victory parade, and they sing a song, and God the Holy Spirit has, has it written down for us and for the people of Israel. The question is, why? 
Because as far as I can tell, this is the only song in the, in the book, right? And it's not one we're going to sing. So why does God put this song down for the people of Israel and ultimately for us, right, so that we can have it? And the, question, the answer is, it's so the people of Israel and us will remember, right? So we'll remember something that they're not good at, something that we're not good at. There's something about music. Music is a powerful gift from God, right? It's one of God's great gifts to us. It's, it's important to us as the people of God. Our God is a God who sings himself, Zephaniah says. Our God is a God who commands us to sing. The people of God historically have been a singing people. So it's an important thing. And music is powerful, does a couple things. Number one, it reminds you of things. Number two, it, it invokes emotion, right? And so you have, you know, you got your satellite radio in your car and whatever you get, you got 60s on six, 70s on seven, 80s on eight. That's my, that's my jam, right? And, and that song comes on. You know, I don't know what it is, but that song comes on and you're like, you remember where you were, what you were doing. I mean, I hear a little toe duet sprocket from the 90s, man. I'm like, I'm at the beach. I'm at Isle of Palms, Charleston with my Jeep, top down. I hear Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. I'm driving around a Cherokee, my mom's Cherokee. I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I, I'm Vanilla Ice, driving, and my five, no, you know. <laughs> right? You remember because of music and it invokes emotion, right? Some of you, you know, all of a sudden open arms comes on and you start weeping, you're remembering, yeah. <laughs> Lying with, right? Whatever, your generation. And that's the point. That's what music does. And, so th and that's what God wants too. He wants the people of God to remember and to feel something. And that's chapter five, right? And so the same thing that he wants them, the people of Israel to remember and feel, he wants us, we're gonna see. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna unpack this chapter quickly. And I've kind of broken it down into three verses, there's like three big themes that God wants us to know, that God wants us to remember, that God wants us to feel, right? And so I've kind of taken some homiletical liberty, and I've applied modern-day songs the, the way they make me feel so that you will try to get into the poetry, because the poetry is ancient, right? It's very old, you, you know, that you don't, we don't have the tune, so I'm going to try to get you to not only know what you're supposed to remember, but to feel it, all right? And if you don't like my choice of music, tough. You... <laughs> Start a church, and then you can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> All right, but I want us to get these three things, and then what we're going to do is we're actually going to do them. So we've, we've chosen kind of selected songs afterwards, that, and each one does the same thing each one of these three pieces does. All right, so let's jump in. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Here's kind of the entrance to the song. Then Deborah, then sang Deborah and Brock. They do a little, they do a little, little duet, a little Sonny and Cher, a little Ebony and Ivory, and they're, they're right after in the same day. On that day they sing, right after the battle. The leaders took, that the leaders took the lead in Israel. That the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. And so she's praising God. The ultimate theme is praise God. Why? Because people showed up. Right? People showed up to the battle. People came. And there's this tension in the song that we're praising God. There's it's obviously that element. We're singing. When we sing, we sing to God. So if you're like, well, I didn't like that song. Good. It wasn't for you. Right? That, that song was for God, right? And that's the point. So there's this piece where we're, we're praising God, we're blessing the Lord, but she's also praising God for, for what people did, right? So she's really, it's a big, great picture of God's sovereignty and his power, but also the, the responsibility of, of what we have to do in response. 
So he says, bless, she says, bless the Lord. And she says, hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. It's emphatic in the Hebrew. I, I will sing, it says. I will make melody to the God of Israel. So this is kind of the, the intro to the song, right? And then she's gonna get into the first theme. And so verse, kind of the first feeling that they would feel and that really I want us to see, I've encapsulated in this classic piece. All right, good, that's enough. Okay, good. All right, if you don't, that's, take away Apocalypse Now. I'm not talking about Apocalypse Now, the movie, all right? But that piece invokes like, yes, right? It's, it's, this, it's called the Ride of the Valkyries. It's this picture of, of just something happening that's big. And if you read the next verse, verse five, four and five, it says, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched down from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped. Yes, can't you just... It's just that feel. The clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. It's this, remember the situation in Israel was they were, they were cruelly oppressed, is what it says about Jabin. And that doesn't mean they just didn't like their politicians. Well, we've got to pay high taxes... That's not what it means. It means they were burning their homes. It means they were taking their daughters, they were raping them, they were killing their dads and their brothers, that they were taking their crops and all their food. They were cruelly oppressing. They've been doing it for 20 years, and God has been seemingly silent. And then all of a sudden, from Seir you march down. This is picture of God as this warrior God marching down. And when he shows up, the earth trembles. The skies pour rain. The mountains quake. It's this, this great picture of the greatness and the power of God. And that's what they're singing about. That's what the first part of this this. This song is about, is about God's greatness, his mightiness. Look what our champion does when he shows up, right? And there's clearly a knock on Baal. Baal was supposed to be the storm god, the fertility god, right? He's the one who brought the rain. But this god is the one that everything trembles and the rain comes in the mountains. And it's this kind of comparison. Yeah, your god did nothing for you for 20 years. This god, he is god. He is great, and that is something, church, that we have to be constantly reminded of. And that we need to remember, that we need to sing about, that our God, he is Lord. Not one of many. He is exalted over all. He is the mighty one of Israel. He is the lion of Judah. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is powerful. And, and as his people, you might think, I'm going to run from, from that mightiness. I've got to hide from that. And there's a sense of reverence there. But actually, for his people, it's not something we run from. It's something we should run to. So the, the, the chronicler says this, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. There's an invitation there. Give him glory, but Come. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. There's a joy. There's an emotion there. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar, all that fills it. Let the field exult, everything in it. That we constantly sing. Why we sing is to remind us 
ourselves of the greatness and the power of our God, right? That our God goes before us, that our God fights for us. We've titled this series, Everyone Needs a King. And the kings of that day were very elite and very exclusive. When we think about our king, our king is not some aloof king, some distance king, some apathetic king. He is a king who is near. He is a king who actually goes before his troops. Those kings back, you know, they may be standing on the sideline watching the troops. Our king goes ahead of us. I mean, throughout the scripture, we have these promises, Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he does what? Prepares beforehand, that we may walk in him. He goes ahead of us, that there is no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. With a temptation provides a way of escape. He's gone before. That our God is great, that he is powerful. Paul says, if our God is for us, who can be against us? That's a great God. That our God is the one who says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's a great God. And we just need to be reminded of that. We sing to remind ourselves. We sing to, to convince our, our hearts when it doesn't feel like that, that our God is great. Because most of life actually feels like Chapter, verses six through eight. This is, this is where life really is. I don't have a slide for it because I forgot to put it in, but it says this. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers kept to the byways. The villages ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose, mother in Israel. He, she's recapping what it used to be like. Nobody was on the roads. Why? It's too dangerous. Nobody's on I-95. No one's, no one's traveling the main highways. It's just empty. No one's in the villages. Why? Villages are kind of outside the cities. It's too dangerous. Everyone's living in the cities. And even in the cities, there's war in the gates. Verse 8, when new gods were chosen, war was in the gates. Were shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? She's saying it was, it was desperate, dangerous. And even in the, the safest places, which was the cities, there was constantly war. There was constant attacks. And we didn't have anything to fight with. She's just recapping the situation. So when you face those things in life, and let's be honest, I don't know about you. I don't know about your life, but my life feels like that a lot. There's war in the gates. There's war in my heart. Despite what most of you may think about me, most Mondays, I don't want to come to work. I'm not like, I can't wait to preach next Sunday. Yay, Judges 6, woo. Right? It's a battle to get out of bed sometimes. Because you know what's the week ahead. You know there's a spiritual battle. And you know there's a physical battle. Then you got family life. And then you got, you know, and I got the same struggles of discouragement and anxiety and all those things that everyone else has. I'm thinking about, okay, I got four kids. How do I pay for school? I got two going to come. I got all these struggles. I got conflict in relationships. It's war in the gates. Right? There's things in my life that I wish were going this way. And they're, and they're, and they're going this way. There's sin in my heart, Romans 7, and I'm battling and sometimes I'm losing, right? And so it's in those moments that I need to be reminded and that you need to be reminded. And that, yes, it feels like the village is under attack, but your God is great. And I need a little ride of the Valkyries at that moment. That's why we sing. Our God is mighty. 
We're not alone. Our God actually fights for us. In fact, I was reading this week in preparation. There's a great passage in Exodus. You know, when the Israelites leave Egypt, they're delivered by a mighty hand and the plagues and they're marching towards the promised land and they, they get dead-ended right at the Red Sea. Remember this? Right? And they, they, they stop and they're at the Red Sea like, okay, now what? And they turn around and the Egyptians are right behind them. And they start complaining and whining, right? And Because they're, they're stuck. We should, why did we leave? Why did you bring us out of here? Oh, there was salad in Egypt, oh, right? It's just like me. When I get stuck, when I'm in a dead end, I just start whining and complaining. Why me, God? Why, right? And, and I love Moses' response to them. He says this, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. That's, that's, and I know, I know our first response is to cheesy little bumper stickers, the let go and let God bumper sticker, Right? Yeah, that's right, y'all, just let go and let God. That's actually not what he says, because the very next verse, he says, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. So it's not let go and let God, all right? It's, I'm stuck. He says, go. But wait, there's water. Just go. Be silent and go. And sometimes you gotta start walking towards the water and let God take care of the water. And maybe you're gonna get wet and maybe you're not, but he's saying, I'll fight. I will go ahead of you, but you got to move. And so this idea of let go and let God, no, no, I got to get up on Monday morning. And even if I don't feel like it, and I got to have that appointment, and I got to do that, and I got to go pay that, and I don't feel like it, but I got I to gotta take a step. And I'll let God fight it, and I'll let the chips fall where they may, right? That's the idea of let's be silent and move forward, right? But the only way I can do that is if I have a God who is mighty, he was a God who, who wants his people to trust him, who wants to give his people confidence in who he is and what he has done and in his greatness and in his goodness that he can be trusted even when it seems like it's a mess. And the only way I can do that is if he's a mighty God. The only way I can do that is if he's a God who is near. And some of you need to hear today because I know, I know we put on a good face and everyone's smiling and Clint talked about this last week, but we come in and we got our church faces on, but some of you will wreck internally. No one would ever know it out here because we're all singing and happy, but, but you are, and you need to hear today that your God is mighty and that he is near. That he has not gone anywhere. And we sing to, to remind you of that. We sing to remind ourselves, we speak over ourselves, like the psalmist says, why are you cast down on my soul, why? You have to preach to yourself sometimes. And when we do that, we remind ourselves, our God is great. Your savior is the lion of Judah. He's not the kitty cat of Judah. He's the lion, right? At his voice, mountains tremble, demons flee. He upholds the universe with his right hand. Right, that's what Colossians teaches us. He's got power that, that's greater than cancer, greater than your college loans, that's greater than the loss of a, of a loved one. He has power over death, he has power over sin. He is mighty and he can be trusted. And we sing because he is great. That's why we sing, we don't lip sync, right? We talk about things that are great, don't we? And, and that's why the, the old Debbie, she goes on, she says, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offer themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. And then she says, tell it, tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys. White donkeys were like Lexuses, 
You who drive Lexuses, tell it. You who sit on, on rich carpets, actually it's not rich carpets, a better translation is blankets. So he's talking about rich or poor. So you guys, you guys who ride the Marta, right? You guys who drive Lexuses. The point is, tell everybody, right? To the sound of musicians in the watering places that they repeat the righteous, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villages in Israel, then down to the gates the people of the Lord march. And the idea is, is tell everybody about his greatness. We talk about greatness. I can't get the New Englanders to stop telling me how great Tom Brady is. Got it. It's because he sold his soul to the devil. We've already established that. All right? How much more great is Christ? So his church sings to pronounce and remind ourselves and to feel that greatness, right? That's why, that's that that great power, right? So that's the first thing this song talks about. That's the first thing we sing about, that our God is great, right? Here's the second one, all right? Second movement. Here's, Here's the selection I have chosen for the second section of this great song. If you don't know this song, you need to leave this church. Um, so why did I choose that besides the fact that it's a great song about Rocky, who is a real boxer, by the way? Um, you know what happens when that song, for me, you know, I run to the 80s, I'm rock, rocking with the 80s, whatever. When that song comes on, it doesn't matter what mile I'm at, how I'm feeling, all of a sudden, maybe it's only for 20 seconds, but I have a burst of energy. Right, I'm running down the streets of Philly and I'm going to face Apollo. I'm hoping the, the, the museum steps are up ahead. I want to run up the, the Rocky t- the Museum. I mean, that's just, there's something about that song that compels me to move. It's just, that's, that, that's just something that this part of the song is written to compel you to move. What Debbie is going to do is she's gonna recap everything that happened with different people. They did this and they did this. And there's a positive aspect of it that's supposed to compel you, but there's also a negative aspect that's supposed to compel you as well. So look at, let's look what it says. It says, awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in the song, arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble, the people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. So she said, she said, she's saying like the survivor says, rising up, right? Awake, let's go, let's move, right? And then she recaps those who moved. Ephraim, their route marched down in the valley. Ephraim's where she's from. She said, my family, my clan was there. Benjamin, your kinsman. Benjamin's just a little, little tribe, insignificant, but they showed up. Benjamin shows up, right? Uh, Makir, whoever that is, marched down. That's the western uh, Manassas tribe, right? They live on the, on the west side of the, of, uh, the Jordan River. They showed up. Their commander showed up. Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant staff. It wasn't just the, 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 the poor folks, the low folks, the, the generals, the important people. They're not all getting massages. They're down there fighting. Everyone's engaged. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah. Issachar faithful to Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. So they're, they're following their general. They're, they're in the heat of the battle. Jump down to verse 18. Zebulun is a people who risked their life to death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. They're, they're in the hottest point of the battle. They're, they're volunteering to go, right, and get, get involved at the most risky hot spots in the battle. And she's singing to remind people and stir their hearts up. Look what they did. Look what Zebulun did. Issachar was down there. I mean, it was, they were doing this. They were doing this. And the point is this. 
What about you? What are you doing? Are you moving? Are you rising up? See, Jesus has given us this great commission, not the literal great commission, to go, to make disciples, to teach, to obey, to baptize, to follow. He's calling to a, a wholehearted, enthusiastic, even a risk-taking commitment to following him, to engage in the spiritual battle, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, to serve each other in a unique way. He, and, and he says, I'm not taking them out of the world in John 17. I, I'm, I'm actually leaving you into the world. I'm sending you into the world. Right? I'm just asking, Father, that you protect them from the evil one. He's sending us into the teeth of the battle. Right? And sometimes what we need, we need a little eye of the tiger. Because things get hard and the battle gets fierce. Right? And we need to remind each other. This is one of the things we sing to God, but we also sing to each other. We need to remind each other, rising up, awake. You can do this. Right? Because when you're hard, and it's hard, challenging, when you're tired, when you feel weak, you need to come in here and know that your brothers and sisters got your back. We're here, God's here, you're, you're gonna be okay, right? You're suffering. We sing, it is well. We sing it to God, we sing it to each other. It is well with my soul, right? We sing these things and remind each other. So when you come in here and you've had a, you just had a challenging spiritual week and you feel guilty and the enemy is attacking in your ear and talking about how guilty you are, you can come in here and we can sing and remind ourselves I, is, I was guilty, but now I am innocent. I am justified because of what Jesus did. That's why we sing about what Jesus has done. Or if you're feeling lonely or, or disengaged, you can remind ourselves with the truth of the gospel that God is, was never, will never leave you or forsake you. And we sing about that. We sing about uh, our future and our hope. And so when, when there's cancer or when there's suffering or when there's a loss, we, we, we mourn with each other, but we remind ourselves that it's not, this is not the end. The end is there. Right? And it stirs us, it compels us to continue to move. It gives some spiritual strength in your spine. This is why in Acts 16, Paul and Silas in the jail, what are they doing? They're singing. Right? Not because they're just like, hey, we got a good duet down here. Hey, you can sing bass, I can sing, you know. No, because they're reminding themselves, they're encouraging, hey, this stinks, but it's okay. Right? And there's something about singing, it does that. It's why David, when he's being chased by Saul, he's the rightful king, he's run out of town, he's living in the desert, but yet he writes this, I will sing of your strength, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praise to you. For you, oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. That's when he's running for his life. What is he doing? He's reminding himself, he's compelling himself. It's the eye of the tiger. And we need, I need, the eye of the tiger sometimes. Y'all, this is why the gathering of God's people is important, by the way. Right? This is why we gather weekly. This is why it's like, well, should I go to church or sleep in? No, no, don't sleep in. Even if you don't show up because you don't know, you need your soul to be stirred, not only by the word of God, but by the people of God, reminding you of the word of God through song. It's, just, it's, it's why God commands it. All right? It's why he tells us, don't forsake because it's part of your spiritual growth. It's not that going to church makes you a good person. It's just your soul needs this. It needs to be reminded of these truths, even when things are dark, especially when things are dark, right? We need to sing. We remind ourselves of the greatness of God. We compel one another. We encourage one another as long as today is the day. We sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
That's the positive aspect of this compelling, but there is a negative aspect as well, right? There's a part of the song that teaches you, don't be like this. There's this great episode in The Office. There's a lot of great episodes in The Office, but there's this great episode. When, when Jim and Pam first had their baby, Cece, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need just shut, shut down for about 30 seconds. But so Dwight... And Dwight is trying to get, you know, Dwight doesn't like Jim at this point, and so they have this kind of battle. But Dwight starts singing to Jim, Cats in the Cradle. Because he's sad, he was on paternity leave, and he's left the baby at home, so he's just like, Cats in the Cradle, and the whole baby, Andy's in there singing parts, and it's like, Cats in the, and Jim gets like, is seriously getting depressed, because he's like missing his little baby, and he's like, Jim, and he's like, it's strangely working, you know? And, and there's, the reason why is because that song, you listen to Cats in the Cradle, and you just, at the end, you're like, my boy was just like me. I don't want to be like that. I want to be a good dad. Right? Everybody listens to that song. It's depressing. And, you're, and you're, at the end, you're like, I don't want to be like the cats in the cradle guy. Right? There's a negative example. That's what this is. Right? It's a cats in the cradle. Right? And so she, she highlights, imagine if we did this in church. Oh, yeah, and Joe, um, we got to talk afterwards because you, you, know, you, you didn't show up for nursery duty last week. You called out. Uh, yeah. But that's what she does. She calls out the, the tribes in the song that, that are bad examples. So she says, among the crowns of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. And you can hear the sarcasm. Right? It's just like, yeah, they had great searchings of heart. They had great meetings and talked about all they were going to do. She says, why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there are great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan, right? That's where their tribe was. They didn't even cross the Jordan to come help. Asher, Dan, they stay with the ships. They're on the Mediterranean. Their businesses are, are ships and uh, fishing. So yeah, they stayed at the beach. Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by the landings, right? And, and so she calls them out. And, and here, here's, here's the lesson. Some of you, some of us, I'm gonna just be very direct. Some of y'all are Reuben. And you got great searchings of heart. And you go to the, the conference and you go to the Bible study and you come to church on Sunday and you're like, yes, but it never goes anywhere. You're like people who buy a treadmill. People buy a treadmill, they buy a treadmill and they walk on it three times and then it's the most expensive clothes hanger they've ever bought. And then they sell it at a yard sale for someone else who's going to walk on it three times and use it for their clothes hanger. Right? It, it, there's great searchings of heart, but it, nothing ever comes of it. And the, and the compelling here is, don't be that way. If you're like, I, I need to start working on my marriage, then let's start. Let's start reading scripture together. Start praying together. Go to a marriage conference. There's nothing wrong with that. Do, but start going on a date. Start saying you're sorry. Start whatever, but don't just have searchings of heart. You're like, I want to I read my Bible more. Okay, what are you waiting for? You got Bible apps, you got translations, you, got, you can put it on your car. There's a thousand ways you can, you can renew your mind with scripture. Turn off sports radio, put on the Bible app. It's really easy. I mean, there's a thousand. What are you, are you just gonna have searchings of heart forever? You got this sin issue. You've been playing with it, right? I'm gonna deal with that when I get out of high school. When I graduate college, then I'll go, great searching's a heart. Now, what are you waiting for? Don't be like cats in the cradle. Some of you are Asher and Dan. You got too many things that are too more important. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's just like them. Don't want to leave the fish. Don't want to leave the boats. 
I got my business now. I'll go, after Je- I'll go follow Jesus later. No, no, you can follow Jesus in your business. In fact, that's what he wants you to do. Like, I've got this relationship. When, I, when this relationship's done, then I'll go, no, no, you want to honor Jesus in that relationship. And if you can't honor Jesus in that relationship, which means you're probably physical or something that's it's immorality, then you need to break that relationship or walk with God in that relationship, but not one or the other, right? Whatever it is. Some of you are like Gilead and you're on the east side of the Jordan. You're a part of the deal, but you're really not. And we talk about this a lot, but look, you, you, you need to be engaged. You need to show up at the battle. This is a body. This is a family. It's not a club that we come together once a week. And you are separate and you have no one to walk with you, walk through life's difficulties and challenges. You're not there to help anybody else. Part of your spiritual growth is, is the body, is the community, and you need those relationships. You've been talking, you got Reuben, you've been talking about joining the community group, getting on a service team, getting connected, going to the, the young adults thing, going to the high school thing. Great searching's a heart. And so the lesson, the compelling, the, the rising up, the eye of the tiger is, let's, let's stop playing games. Let's move. Let's put some shoe lever. Like James says, like if you, if you go to a brother in need and you put your head, hand on his head and said, go in peace, be warm and filled, what good is that for him? Right? It's the same thing for us. No, let's, go, let's, let's move. Right? Let's, let's be in the battle that God has called us to together. Right? And, and the song is there to compel you to do it. Both negatively, don't be cats in the cradle, be eye of the tiger. All right, so we sing because God is great. We sing to compel one another to keep going. And here's the last portion, all right? And here's the selection that I have chosen for us. All right, I I debated whether that one or another one bites the dust, but I figured that was a better one, okay? So what the rest of this this, uh, song is, is a recap of the actual battle and kind of from narrow to, to broad right, just kind of highlights what happens here and it kind of breaks it out. So, and this is what we do. I, this past week after the Super Bowl, I got online, I watched a 10-minute recap of last year's Super Bowl. I was moved. <laughs> I mean, I was watching it and I got nervous. I'm like, I already knew who won, but I was wide, there's butterflies in my stomach. We ran to Philly Philly, I was excited. I mean, you know, when Tom Brady goes back on, on the last play of the game, is somebody gonna catch? I mean, I was actually nervous and I already know who won, but there's something about recapping your victory that's exciting. Right? And, and this is the recap of the victory. So in verse 19, the kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. It pictures like the angels or, or, or God from heaven fighting uh, these chariots. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon, that's that river they're in, swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud horses beat, uh, beat the hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. And the picture is the, the water comes down, the chariots are useless, the horses are all spazzing and, you know, trying to get out of the mud, but they can't. That's the picture here that she's kind of in a poetic way singing about. Um, that, that's, the ba- that's the actual battle. Then, and it says, curse Miraz. We don't know who Miraz was. Uh, but whatever, whoever they are, they got cursed, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. But there is one who was blessed. Verse 24, most blessed of women be jail. 
the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. You know, it's interesting. There's only like one other lady that's called most blessed in the Bible. It's, her name's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Very interesting. And so it kind of recaps the story. He asked for water. She gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble bowl. Isn't that nice? It's Tylenol PM, a little in the, in the bowl. And she sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. And she struck Sisera. And in the Hebrew here, it's very staccato. It's like an early hip-hop song, right? And, and most commentaries actually think that the, each line is supposed to mimic the hammering of the tent peg. It's like, she crushed his and she shattered and pierced his temple between her feet or sang. He fell, he lay still between her hands. I mean, so that's how the feel is. It's a very dark song here at the end. Right? She shattered and pierced his temple between her feet. She sank, he, he sank, he fell, he lay still between her feet. He sank, he fell where he sank. There he fell dead, right? And, and, and it recaps this, this gruesome scene. And then it gets even a little bit darker. It's, they, it's, it's a mocking of their enemies. Verse 28, it, it's a picture now. It's kind of changed the scenes to Sisera's mama. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is this chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? And one of the uh, ladies there answers, her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers himself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? I womb for two, a womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, a spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the next of spoil. She's saying, oh, they're not, they're just late because they're dividing up all the spoils. They're raping the young girls. They're having a good time. This is how wicked these people were, right? So that's, that, oh, that, they're, just, they're just doing that, but we know that's not true. He's lying in a tent with a peg through his, with his brain. And so it closes... And, and it says, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord, right? And so this is a, look, this is a dark ending to this song, right? It really, this last portion is almost like, it's like a na, 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 na. I mean, it, 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 that's the feel of it. It's a mocking. And, and you know, I was gonna, you know, I'm at, when I'm in a game, a football game or basketball game, I always cringe a little bit when, one team is doing that, especially when I'm on the other losing side and I'm like, oh, but even on the winning side, because this is just like, they already feel bad enough, they lost. And, and that's the idea here though. But that, that is not necessarily not making fun of people. And, and just so we know, and we're clear, I need to continue to clarify this. And then under the new covenant, Jesus commands us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. So we're not going out and we're not, okay, we're gonna go get the, the Presbyterians next week and then the Methodists next. We don't go do that right? We love our enemies. We love our neighbor. This is very unique to what God is doing under the old covenant. But the idea of celebrating victory over defeat is very, is very biblical. In fact, even in 1 Corinthians, there's a very similar passage in 1 Corinthians 15, where this kind of mocking of death when Paul's talking about the resurrection, he says, when perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come a past the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then there's these mocking statements of death. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's the same idea as this, is we win, death loses. We're the winners. We are the champions. Or another one bites the dust, or whatever. It's a celebration of, 
of victory. And it may seem a little morbid for our context of, of, of singing of something so gruesome, but we actually sing about something that's just as gruesome, right? I mean, we, we don't sing about a peg piercing a, a, a head, but we do sing about a savior who was pierced for our transgressions. We don't sing about uh, uh, someone who, got, who struck somebody on their head, but we do sing about a savior who was struck and mocked and beaten. We, we don't sing about a head that was crushed, but we do sing about the head of the serpent that was crushed by the seed of the woman, which is the prophecy from Genesis 3 in Jesus. And when we sing of the cross and when we sing of redemption, y'all, the cross is a bloody, gruesome thing. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. We're singing about someone who was ultimately cursed, right? Jesus on a cross for our sins, for our guilt. See, Sisera deserved his, his punishment. He was a wicked, wicked general, right? Jesus didn't deserve anything. He was innocent. And he takes what I deserve. He takes what you deserve. And that cross is our victory. We sing that sometimes, right? The cross meant to kill is actually our victory. We get his righteousness. We get his holiness. We get life. He got death. So we sing really ultimately about the same thing. We sing of our victory purchased for us by Christ, where he defeated our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is not Tom Brady. He's in the top 10, but he's not our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy, believe it or not, is actually not even Satan. He is an enemy. He's not our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is not even sin. It is a big enemy. Our greatest ultimate enemy was death. It was death. And Jesus conquered both physical and spiritual death at the cross and at the empty tomb so that we get life. That's why we sing to remind ourselves and to celebrate that. And when we sing about the cross, we are singing, we are the champions because of him. It's not that we did anything, but it is a celebration of victory, a victory. So it closes and said again, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven, earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. His enemies will be ultimately defeated. But I love this last line, your friends may they be like the sun. And it, it reminds me of what Jesus says in, in John. He says, you are my friends. That we are actually the friends of God because what he has done. We get to be God's friends. When we were his enemies. And here's the, here's the final question for us and then we'll remember and we'll worship. Is are you a friend of God or are you an enemy of God? Right? And you can say, well, I don't, you know, I'm kind of I'm indifferent. I'm kind of, you know, I'm not a friend, I'm not an enemy, I'm kind of agnostic or I'm kind of, you know. See, Jesus says you can't, you can't, you gotta, you gotta choose. You are either with me or you're against me. There's no sidelines here. And we were all at one time's enemy. So we were all one time's destined for wrath. And see, this is the only king who will die for his enemies. Jesus dies for his enemies so that they could become his friends. Isn't that the kind of king you wanna follow? Isn't that the kind of king you can trust? Isn't that the kind of king you wanna love, the one who loves us first? 
So if you're kind of on the sidelines this morning or you're kind of standing, you know, I'll, I'll figure that out later. I would just encourage you, look, today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. That, that this king left heaven, died on a cross, took your punishment, rose again, and now he wants to be your friend. And that only happens when you come to him in faith. And I just wanna invite you to that. And if you have questions, we got some folks in the back who would love to pray with you. You can set up and talk to one of us pastors. We just would love to, to introduce you to this God who puts himself on a cross so that you could be his friend, right? And we are. And that's why we have a lot to sing about, y'all. We sing about his greatness. We compel each other to keep going and follow him. And we remember his victory, right? And we're gonna celebrate the table this morning and remember. And then we're gonna sing kind of three songs that will kind of hit each one of these themes. And when we remember at the table, what we're remembering is really these things. Remembering the greatness of God and what he has accomplished and giving his son, his body and his blood. The, the bread pictures the, the broken, pierced body of Christ. The, the blood, the, the shed blood that, that was for the forgiveness of our sins. That is a great thing. That is our victory. And that compels us not only to love God, but to keep going. Right? This sustains us. It's, there's, there's, there's grace that sustains us. And so we're gonna remember that. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we invite you to partake, right, to remember. And so the way we'll do it is our, our men and women will hand out the elements. And just after some time, Ethan, you guys can come up and, and lead us. They're gonna just sing over us a little bit about the wonderful cross, the wonderful, gruesome, beautiful cross. And then we will sing uh, together. We'll remember God's greatness and we'll compel each other. And then we'll sing of our victory. Let me pray. And we'll have a time of, of remembrance. Father, I just pray that we will be a church encouraged, compelled by the gospel to move, not to be like Reuben or Gad, uh, that, that we wouldn't have great searchings of hearts, that we would move, that we would get in the battle, that we'd be like Issachar, that we would be like Benjamin, maybe little insignificant, but we're in the battle, uh, that you would use us, that you would uh, move us where you want us for your glory. Thank you for Christ and his victory, which gives us the victory. It's in his name we pray, amen.